Welcome, welcome back to Jokerman Podcast, where it's Evan again. <laughs> That's right, man. Ian, still the same guys, but I might be a different guy soon. I might, I might be radically transformed by the power of travel. Well, I'm going yeah. away. As as people are listening to this, you have gone away. You are away uh, at at that moment. You're you're about to leave as we speak right now. But uh, coming coming to you from the future, uh, you are. Uh, actively pursuing the geishas of japan <laughs> well I don't, i'm uh right isn't, isn't that why you're going i'm going to jolly old england first and then i'm taking a brief sojourn to jolly old ireland and then i'm going to jolly old japan they, that's what they call it right Sorry, there was just a huge yellow jacket in my room, and I had to kill it. Um, Everything's that, crazy, is what I'm saying. This, it's a I'm real wild You've time. Got, you're killing bugs. This is, uh, I think, a good day to do this episode where everything feels like it's, uh, it's wrong, up in the air. The wrong way up, you could say. Uh, yes, we've come in for a close here at the end of uh, at the end of Eno month. Uh, on Jokerman Podcast with This Is What We've Been Leading Up To the whole time. It's Brian Eno and John Cale's official collaboration where they're both credited as the artist for this record, 1990's Wrong Way Up. You know, we wanted to wanted to kind of travel back and trace a little journey with our friend Brian and figure out where he got to or where he was going to on his way to this record. And now that we've, uh, we've talked about all those, although we have one more coming up at the end of this week, uh, before and after science with, uh, uh, a fan favorite returning to the program, hopefully as long as we can get that scheduled. Um, I think we're, I think we're well prepared to talk wrong way up at this point. John's second collaboration of the year 1990, at least in terms of recorded records. Uh, you know, he was working on Drello with Lou a little bit earlier, but this is the year of two two-person tandem albums from our friend John Davies Kale. And uh, two difficult recording and creative <laughs> processes, <Yes>. apparently. <laughs> um, I mean, as elegant a segue it is to go into uh, John coverage once more through Eno, which, you know, I... I didn't even really think about how just how perfect this would be, but it it is. It's seamless. That's right. Um, you know, it's two, as you like to say, tastes that taste great together. Two great tastes mm-hmm. that taste great. That taste um, and that taste great together. Maybe two great tastes that don't like the way that the other taste tastes. Yeah, but nevertheless, I, if you pair this them, is, we get to like it. Right. This is all to say that. Um, like oil and vinegar, these two, um, they, uh, you know, you have to shake them super vigorously and uh, add in a, some kind of a, a binder for them to, to mix. Otherwise, they will naturally separate. And right, never, some sort uh, of emulsifier. Never, 
That's right. Um, a mustard, you could say. <laughs> uh, perhaps mustard is some. The mustard of good music is the well, thing that binds these the oil and and vinegar of that, John and Brian. That's right. Um, yes, wrong way up. Nineteen ninety. John Cale's collaboration with Brian Eno made following Words for the Dying and Drella, uh, where he had kind of gotten back on the horse, figured out how to make records again, and decided. You know, these um, these experiences have been really challenging, and I've hated working with both of these guys for different reasons, but maybe if I do it again, maybe it'll be different. And, That's romance right there. Right, exactly. Just... Uh, and the music is certainly very different, uh, but wouldn't you know it, the recording process was exactly the same in that uh, John and Brian this time... <clears throat> Uh, came to hate each other by the end of the recording, and uh, I don't believe ever collaborated again. In uh, certainly, at least, uh, you know, to the to the extent that they did here, um, everything kind of you know fell apart in a uh, in a hazy cloud of recriminations and regret. I've always kind of thought that John is like kind of like he's gotten like it. it I've thought that it's other people's fault, right? Like that John is this guy. Mean, it's you know, the way that he paints the, the well, story. It's, that's, it seems and that's that way, the yeah. thing is like, after reading like first the fucking words of the dying situation with Eno was a huge pain in the ass and there was all of the movie bullshit and, you know, we know what happened there. Then the Drella situation and John's very kind of uh, bitchy <laughs> liner notes that he provided. Uh, and now here again, Wrong Way Up, which was recorded at Eno's beautiful country estates, apparently. Um, and John came in and, and stayed with him for a little while. Um, I'm starting to wonder if, like, maybe the problem, maybe it's, maybe it's more John than we realized. Why, why do you say that? Well, because it, it uh, I mean, he, 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 John, just seems to find, find himself in these situations. Uh, he's times. the bad roommate, is what you're saying. He's the, or he's the one who's always saying, I, I keep getting bad roommates every right. time. Exactly. Every yeah. time it's a bad roommate, and you're just like listening to the story, and you're like, oh, I'm, that sucks. <laughs> that sucks. And they just keep coming back with more stories. There, there was a, <laughs> the thing you sent me, um, from the section of uh, What's Welsh for Zen, wh- about this, Alluded to some conflict about the amount of squash that was being played by John Cale. And I think kind of shrugged it off. Like he was like, well, I should have communicated, you know, it's not just a game. I was like doing it for other reasons. And he, you know, I guess implying that it was like a stress management uh, activity for him. But it sounds like he was playing a lot of squash while they were trying to make the record. It definitely sounds like that, yeah. John says, to make matters more uptight during the making of the Opal recordings, the Opal being Eno's label, at the, or you know his imprint on the label at this time, uh, and, and the label that put out Words for the Dying and this record. During the making of the Opal recordings, I'd noticed it was difficult for people to realize how valuable an hour on the squash courts could be. To most, it was just a silly game. Oh, how I wish I'd explained myself better. The problems that accrued from periods of recreation would have been less had Brian realized exactly why I'd spent so much time at the club. It was a sheer accident that I returned from one tournament to catch my host in flagrante delicto in the kitchen. You know, flagrante delicto? Flagrant what? He was boning down in the kitchen, and John walked in. Oh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, it, it appears that, uh, methinks, perhaps, that John, 
played a lot of squash, and we know, at least according to John's statements on the matter, that, you know, his kind of squash obsession uh, was a coping mechanism for him coming out of, you know, a period of intense substance abuse. So, by all means, totally valid, totally get it, uh, makes a ton of sense to find yourself, you know, sticking to something like that if it is working for you and helping you improve in your life. At the same time, uh, it seems like Brian just thought he was dicking off for most of the recording here and started to get a little uh, a little hot and bothered, a little little uh, jealous of perhaps John's less, um, uh, less than admirable work ethic, as it might have appeared to Brian, at least. Wait, was it Brian was fucking or John? Brian was fucking. So that was his sort of extracurricular. Right. And, and John's was... <laughs> squash exactly you know we've all got uh we've all got our way to to let off some steam to let our hair hair down so to speak are you more of a are you more of a flagrante delicto type or more of a squash type of guy never been into sports <laughs> okay so neither no no the, the first one <laughs> <laughs> um but yes, so uh, the, the other uh, very funny part about this uh this section is John seems to imply that Brian was trying to stab him with what wasn't what, a knife. What did he say? What? <laughs> with, with what? With it like a stick? With a thin a, stick? With what he claims is a thin stick, which sounds to me like a chopstick. Um. <laughs> I walked in and, he, and and just like Brian, I mean, this story just doesn't seem all there. Like he walks in and Brian, you know, is charging at him with a thin stick. One afternoon in the studio, I was confronted with a livid Brian charging at me with a thin stick as if to stab me. He stopped inches away and I quickly left the room. It was not until a while later that the ramifications of this slowly crept into focus. What if it had been a knife? On his private property, I was an interloper. If I had defended myself, I would have been in the wrong regardless. It was an uncomfortable, unhappy situation. I talked to his mother, Maria, about it. Yes, he's got a terrible temper, she said. He just will not listen to anything, but then his father had a terrible temper, too. Yeah, but uh, what did he do? To, like, that didn't just That's happen. a very good question, and that's something that John spends no time whatsoever addressing. <laughs> mm. This is what I'm saying. I think, you know, we're getting, we, we've referred to What's Welsh for Zen, you know, quite a bit throughout this uh, this process, and it's an invaluable primary document from our friend John, but, uh, you know, it seems to me, it seems to me that there's there, there's a little more there's to more this, to uh, more the to these story. stories than we're getting. Well, we're not going to get anything more than what we have on this record, the story of the music created by these two men. Um in the form of a, I would say a, a bizarre record. I, I don't think that's bizarre. Is the I don't word think that's weird to say. Uh, when we, when were you first made aware of this album? This was an early one for me, actually, um, because I I think I I think it was around the same time as Drella. And thinking back on it, I I think that might have colored some of my some of my approach or my feeling towards Drella initially, which, like we talked about in the episodes a couple weeks ago, I was baffled by that album initially, and it just didn't sound the way I expected it to, didn't sound the way I wanted it to at that moment in time, versus this album did and still does in many ways. Like, this is a really as as stark and unexpected and sort of um, uh, 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 deliberately challenging as Drella can be. Wrong Way Up is like such an easy listen, so smooth 
to get into and just kind of feel the vibe out. Um, unexpected, I think, uh, just as much as Drella, uh, at the time it would have been at least, but uh, it, uh, it's, it's a much easier hang as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, there's no, uh, so, you know, we all contain multitudes. These guys certainly do. And so th- there's, there's a place, uh, there's time for all things, right? Uh, the year's made of seasons. Sometimes you want the Drella flavor, the, the anise, the black licorice, and other times you want this, like, fucking Starbucks Frappuccino-ass album. Uh, yeah, I, that is what the two of them came up with. I don't know what this uh, what this is as a food, I, I, but um, the I think that I picked this up on a CD at Amoeba. Um, Great CD album. It, yeah, yeah, and I had never heard of it. It was like I walked into the store and I saw this, and I was just like, I can't. But what? Well, we I, do I remember. That's a great just, point. The cover is. And just an absolutely essential element of this record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, do, what, do you, what do you think about the way this looks? I love it. I figured um, you would. It, it looks like, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it looks good. It looks good. I mean, it has some of the um, taking Tiger Mountain by strategy approach, but with with the technology of the day being pushed to its limit. It's absolute uh, limits. Exactly. All uh, 256 kilobytes of the processor <laughs> on whatever computer was used to put this thing together. Yeah. So it's this odd multicolored orange and it's a gross kind of mustard color and a, and this dark orange. And some little purple and lightning And some purple bolts. and some yellow. And then... Just these kind of blown out green and bluish, just but mostly monochrome black and white like p- portraits of the two of the two of them, and they're they're twisted sideways, right, ninety degrees, and they're like even they're pretty poorly cropped. Like you can even see like John's. There's just a straight crop line like running down yes. the side of his face, like on his ear, so you can't even see it. The Eno, at least the Eno one is like sort of vignetted and it kind of blends into this fucking sickly Wario looking color scheme behind him. But John's is just like... It does, yeah, <laughs> he does have a Wario thing going on. Uh, well, yeah, there's also these little, my favorite element, these little cartoon daggers. The swords are great. Yeah, up and down. And so it should also be noted that the album cover basically looks just as good uh, anyway, you anyway you hold it because it says wrong way up on every side, pretty much, and um, it's it's designed to I think be uh, in a clever bit of reference to the title, um, sort of interchangeable. Which which side? I mean, it's a perfect thing knowing that the album was made with such contention and and animosity in the air. It it's this perfect metaphor for the warring egos and creative uh uh approaches yes because whatever way you have it if you've got john on one side it says that's the wrong way that's when right. you have it you, you spin it around it says you know and you know on top not so fast so that's the wrong way up that's too. also the wrong way there's no right way um and you'd think that maybe they'd have been more self-aware um if they had that kind of sense of humor Maybe it would have trickled down into the making of it, but maybe they titled it later. In any case, I've always liked that um, sort of sight gag element sure. of the uh, of the cover. 
I think it's a fantastic cover. One of the, one of the great covers, uh, as far as I'm concerned. And, and the same way that this record sounds so insanely distinct from, from Drella, the cover is the same exact sort of just wildly different, like uh, diametrically opposite kind of approach, even as it is sort of similar in that you've just got these kind of like stark monochrome portraits of the two artists here on the cover. <laughs> Everything else besides that single element at the core of it is as different as you're going to get. Did you notice that there's another, there's an alternate cover that floats around? Like there's a, just a different version of it. Yeah, that covers, on- that. that's the cover that I have on my... Um, on my my iTunes library, where it's just it's just the it, two you know, pictures it, it of them basically. Like, it's like a handsome and understated version of this. You know, there's, it's just the. It's actually also a really good cover on its own. Yeah, it's I, it's it's a fun alternate cover. I I absolutely prefer the uh, you know the the batshit insane. Exactly the the Nickelodeon double dare ass version of the original, but uh, I think the yeah. uh, the other ones is. A little more stately, a little more subdued. What you might expect a cover of a Brian Eno and John Cale collaborative record to actually look like. Um, Mm -hmm. They also did some incredible promo photography for this as well. This is, I'm just going to, we're going to post this. I'm going to make sure to throw this up on Instagram or something um, uh, when the episode goes up. But I just got to show you this. I don't know if you've seen this image before. But the two of them sitting barefoot in presumably Brian's garden but they've got like laptops and like radios on this classical wooden um, English furniture. <laughs> yeah, this it's is a really it's fantastic. Um, <sighs> well, should we talk about the music of the album? I suppose we should. That's typically what we do here. First track is uh, a little number called "Lay My Love." Ooh, does it get any better? This is great music. <laughs> it's great. Uh, um, it's got everything you love about Brian Eno and nothing that you don't, if there is such a thing. Um, and you don't really detect much John on here, I, I don't think, uh, unless you're really... Well, you might not detect any, because apparently, <laughs> you know, just like took out... He just deleted... John from various parts of the record without without telling him, which was, I think, the inciting incident, or at least the compounding drama of the uh, recording process um, being difficult. And uh, so I don't know how much is... Eno or John? I mean, are what is what do the credits say? Well, the credits are are very like you know yours and mine, uh, as far as I can tell. Uh, If you look at the personnel. They've each they're each credited for lead vocals on specific tracks, and each of them is kind of numbered all throughout, um, as well as all of these wacky instruments, you know, quote unquote instruments in very Eno fashion. 
Uh, he's credited with something called the rhythm bed, Indian drum, Shinto bell, and little Nigerian organ. While John is credited with, obviously, the <laughs> the regular the regular type instruments: keyboard, bass, harp, omnichord. Um, but yeah, this song is definitely a Brian a Brian joint here in in particular, and it is sort of reading about it. I think that the fact that Eno went through and deleted some of John's tracks that makes the record make a little bit more sense to me. I think because it does feel like a yours and mine, like kind of turn-taking album in many cases. Like, this is a John song, this is a Brian song, and you might have expected it to be a bit more of a collaboration, especially coming on the heels of something like Words for the Dying, where it seems like they actually had a pretty, you know, kind of productive um, relationship, you know, to some extent at least. And here it's more like, you know, you take your turn, I'll take mine, and Brian is is more the star of the show than John, just like, uh, just like Lou was on Drella. Yeah, well, this is uh, definitely a Brian song. Yeah, um, and I mean, it, it, as far as it being a Brian song, and I think it picks up pretty seamlessly where we last left him in the mid-late 70s. This is like his return to th- this whole fucking thing. Like, he hadn't done pop songs on his own since since Before and After Science, and that record is even like half an ambient record, really. Um so it's it's been a while since he got to flex these muscles, but he's I think he's coming out he's coming out on fire. This is one of the best songs on the record. It just sounds good and like makes me feel good. Like it obviously it sounds good as in like it's good it's good music, but it sounds like like positive, like bright, and like like I, I just I, I feel like there's good energy emanating yeah, deep, yeah. from deep within it, the, the soul of this song. Positive ions, That's uh, right. as they, they say, it, the aura it, uh, of the song. How the hell do you make this and 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 that also try to murder someone with a thin stick? Murder, yeah, exactly. <laughs> with the chopstick, or, or, he's gonna. I mean, I, that's not that's not really what happened. He nobody was. I don't think there was attempted murder here, but um, yeah, the, the the way it actually sounds is kind of like not not it, not really of a particular era. Exactly. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it does have, because it's John Cale, I mean, because it's Brian Eno more specifically, it's like, as much as it is ni- uh, uh, 1990 sounding, whatever that means, it's it's full of proprietary approaches. Like, Eno just does things his way. And so there's this feeling that it's like, oh, this sounds like the 80s or 90s but it's kind of hard to think of another record that sounds like that even though it's kind of recognizable as of its time yeah yeah i i think it's more it doesn't really sound like a lot of other music that was coming out around this time you know if you're just looking at it music i i feel like it it feels 90s more than it sounds 90s if that makes sense like yeah it's it's the techniques i think and the types of sounds maybe but they're not usually used this way like it there's sounds in here that like make sense as and are used to good it's a very different effect in like nine inch nails but here it's it's you know completely different but it's there are some similar approaches actually it's like the way that the there's these sort of programmed percussion tracks and the interplay between these very tight uh instrumentals that are that have this kind of 
digital quality. Yeah, that's a violin there. Is that that kind of like signature do 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 the thing? Uh, but it sounds almost digital. Um, absolutely. The, mostly the the drums have the, this quality that I I guess yeah, like uh, nine inch nails comes to mind for some reason. Of like, sure. I, I you know, if I, it was just really dark and brooding, then it had this kind of tight, smacky percussion. Like yeah, sure. Yeah, and apparently the percussion tracks, the drums, according to John at least. That had all been done by Brian alone before John even came into the process. Um, mm-hmm. He said that uh, all the drum tracks were done before I got to the studio, which really set the tone for all the songs. We spent the first week just throwing things up against the wall and seeing what would stick in terms of chords and song structures and trying to figure out our modus operandi, how to address Brian's style. And that makes sense, I think. Uh, again, looking at the record... At this point, because there are so many different kind of sounds and flavors that we're going to get on this pretty short record, actually. It's just 10, 10 songs, and they're, they're all pretty pretty brief. Um, but uh, I think like this is, Lay My Love at least, is, is a really kind of great definer album opener that, um, that tells the whole story of the album in however long it is, four or five minutes. One side of the story, anyway. The the pod, the the light side, right? Yeah. The Brian side, <laughs> exactly. And and that's continued, kind of just without even skipping a without skipping a beat on the next song. One mm, word. One word. It, it feels very of a piece with the first song. Banger. Also, just a total banger that feels very happy and upbeat, and um, not unlike early, you know, so not unlike something on another Green World. Totally, really. yeah. I mean, it picks up where that le- leaves off, like uh, especially something like "I'll Come Running" to tie your shoe, uh, but just updated a little bit for. Yeah, it's the Sega Genesis version of uh, All yeah. <laughs> Come Running. Yeah. Or, or, Ver- versus uh, the like practical effects of, like movie version. Exactly. Of it. Yeah. This is yeah. this is cutting edge sixteen bit kind of music in nineteen ninety. Yeah. Um, and this one word I think is like like this is a collaboration between the two of them. Like when you think of Brian Eno and John Cale and the way they both sound and the way they approach music, like this really does seem like a sweet spot synthesis of both of their um, you know, kind of things, for lack of a better term. And even the way that there's this kind of call and response between the two of them in the verses, you say one word, the same, one sound, thing, it makes, again, the world go around. It's just like a really fun and novel kind of approach um, that you don't really get too much throughout the record, to be honest. This is kind of one of a few, uh, a vanishingly few instances of that, but... Um, I don't know. They sound uh, like they're friends. Exactly, yeah. They sound like they're on a podcast together. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, This record also has a very distinct sort of like 
keep, I, I don't know what the best term for, like, I, I want to say like European kind of feel, but that is I was going to say the international feel. Yeah, I cosmopolitan, think it, I think is, is yeah, or international, that's right absolutely. Um, like, yeah. it, it's a, it's like a, a where in the world is Carmen Sandiego kind of thing. Yeah, that's like it's, why I feel like it's perfect for listening and talking about on a day of like, I'm going on this crazy trip where I'm going to London and then, uh, Ireland and then Japan, and I think all those this places. This is the perf- are perfect record for name it. dropped on this record at some point. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, the first line of this this song: "Nighttime is falling on the Louvre. It's been a lazy afternoon. We walk to the house. The air is clear. The water's still moving in the pool. It's just going back to the, the what we said on on Lay My Love. Like it just it's pleasant. Like it makes me feel good to just hear these guys and hear the words they're saying and the way the music sounds behind it. It. Um, and it's it's a refreshing it's 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 a really refreshing thing to listen to to be honest considering all the records we've been talking about recently have been brilliant uh, but mm-hmm. you know Drella Words for the Dying New York um, these are <laughs> these are not um, you know super easy or uh, uh, lighthearted kind of albums <laughs> yeah and even when they are it's not like it's kind of intense and and this is like sort of just in, uh, it's like an Eric Romare movie or something. It's just like these kind of pleasant scenes of uh, you can kind of watch this like for the for the sightseeing, like literally just the Louvre and then the, a pool. Yeah, there's water in chilling. a pool. It's nice. It's, I, I like that. Those are good images to me. It's got it's got the same kind of feel to me as like the way that movies used to be in the '90s, where there, you would just go to a, like I just watched Leaving Las Vegas the other night. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, Nick Cage and Elizabeth Shue. It's amazing. And it's just like it's just like a movie about these two people. And it's like actually extremely harrowing and fucked up. But it's also like kind of a good hang for, for a lot of period. And it's just like the stakes are pretty low. It's just two individual human beings and a story about the way they come into each other's lives. Yeah. And, um, and you can just hang out with them for a couple hours. I, I feel the same way on this record. You can just put it on and hang out. And it's a good uh, comparison because you know they, you know that they that it's going to end poorly, um, <laughs> yes. or that it did. <laughs> but um, you, you still want to revisit it. You know, that's right. It's a great work of art that uh, you you know when you start it that it's doomed in a way, but um, it it doesn't take away from the experience. It's about the journey, not the destination. Life is a highway. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, in the back room. Here comes John. When senoritas walk at night, habaneros on the moon, it's music to their ears in the back room. If there's money to be made, and it's a hundred in the shade and in the back room. She's sentimental like the last the foreigners running past to the back room. Here comes John. This is I, I also think there's this other aspect of the record that's like weird John espionage shit again. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about here, but it, it sounds bad. Like the lyrics are very sinister, even though the mood is kind of like languid and not unpleasant, but a little bit like seedy or sultry desert level desert sound. exactly that's right uh yeah <laughs> there's gonna be another desert level later uh right in the fucking title in fact um but yeah i think this again contributes to this like sort of 
cosmopolitan or international kind of feeling because John is kind of leaning into the the Welshy brogue that he's got here. You know, he's kind of deep and and measured and slow as opposed to Brian's really kind of um, you know pleasant and, and effervescent vocals. And yet John is also saying like you know Senoritas walk at night, caballeros on the move. They're taking pains with California and they're guaranteeing boredom for the monsoon. It's um, just the phrases that he's delivering are unexpected kind of words and language to be coming from a guy that sounds like this. Um, it's, it's like a fucking Benetton ass album or something like, a, you know. Yeah, the United Colors of Benetton, yeah. popular clothing brand from the 1980s, which kind of uh, made its concern a sort of pointed internationalism and equality like it was all yeah those are fun shirts it's a very like um two-dimensional and like uh, a blinders on straightforward view of multiculturalism and um you know uh, uh coming togetherness right like this vision of this like seamless future that exists for people where everyone from all these different countries and all these different races and all these different beliefs we're just going to get along. We're all going to get along and everything's going to be great and peachy. And it's the 1990s now and we're just having a good time. We've solved all the problems. Uh, well, this I, song is kind of like about the problems that occur in that world where, yeah, there's there's no problem with uh, borders. It's a it's a borderless uh, and united world where everybody is just doing weird crimes. <laughs> right. But And the crimes uh, like are that. like... The, the crimes are like sort of good natured or like it, it's it, there's there's nothing actually like dangerous or or sinister going on here. This isn't sabotage John or model Beirut recital John where he's like, you know, envisioning uh, uh, the Mossad trying to assassinate people. It's, I'm not so sure about that because I think I think this song is kind of about that. And there's a later song that apparently is about terrorism on this on this record. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll get there. But it's it's understated. I mean, I think John's doing what he usually does, but it doesn't necessarily make logical sense. Um, and it also is uh, a bit more um, quiet. It's it's silenced pistol, John. Sure. <laughs> um. This episode of Jokerman Podcast is presented by DistroKid. Over a million artists rely on DistroKid to distribute their music and get it into all of the places it needs to go. Your Spotify's, your Apple Music's, your YouTube's, your TikTok's, your Tidal's, your Instagram's, and any other streaming service of note. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100%, that's right, 100, all of them, folks, of their royalties and earnings. DistroKid comes with tons of great features, including Mixia, which allows DistroKid users to put the finishing touches on their tracks in just minutes, getting a customizable and polished end result that anyone can feel confident in before sharing it with the world. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. So go to the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store to download it today. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think even as even as uh, uh, atmospheric or espionage or whatever as this song might be, it still feels like John knows that he's having a good time with it, and that it's all sort of a lark, and there isn't 
Um, the stakes are low, I think. Uh, you know, he talks about in the in the book, like, um, what does he say? He's got a, a very uh, great line talking about beginning the record. Um, in the spring of 90, I moved into Eno's beautiful country house and commenced work on a more rock-oriented album with the un- unfortunately accurate title, Wrong Way Up. Uh, we were recording in a well-lit, comfortable upstairs room filled with equipment. The, su- the sun shone in and the birds were singing. I thought this was how records should be made. Like That feeling just seems to pervade all of these songs. Uh, you know, the happy, poppy ones, clearly, but even these, these, these darker ones that um, pop up here and there throughout. Empty Frame? Is that what's next? Yeah, easy breezy cover girl. <laughs> Most of this is Brian, right? Uh, yeah, Singing. definitely Brian. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, there is a sort of uh, uh, Lion King type of thing that happens on some <laughs> of the songs. You know what I mean? Or like a little bit of like. A <laughs> How many other early '90s uh, pop culture bullshit uh, references can we make in this episode? I want to. I want to try to to run the score up here. I don't know. Th- there is just a certain attitude of this period the late 80s early 90s that i think is sort of like uh a sort of muscular whimsy yeah absolutely it's it's kind of like we're gonna be silly and it's not uh it's not weak of us to do so we're just gonna like we're gonna put some some Bees, uh, it's not bees. Uh, elbow grease. That's right. Sure. Into it. It's a, it's a, it's a grill pill fucking uh, period in in pop and rock music, as far as I'm concerned. Like everyone has made it through the long dark night of the soul that was the 1980s, and some people didn't. Make, some people didn't make it, but the people that are still here, they have made it, and they're they're happy to just exhale and take it easy for a minute. And you get this sense on a lot of other records that we've covered. Like this this period, like 90 to 94, I think is really one of my favorite, just favorites of any eras that we've talked about, not only for John and Lou and I guess Brian in this case, but Bob, obviously, we're going to get World Gone Wrong and Good As I've Been To You shortly. This is the same year as um, uh, Under the Red Sky. We're going to get Don and Walt coming back with, uh, Tracks of Whack and Kamikiria and Van with, um, what's the one with, um, that great song, uh, uh Too oh, Long in Exile? Hymns to the Silence. Hymns to the Silence. Yeah, exactly. Is that what's that? 94? No, that's, that's 90, early, I think that's 91 90. or 90. Yeah, exactly. 90. So it's like yeah, right around this, this same period of time. Yeah, um, that's a great period. I agree. I think this is kind of my favorite too. And it's not just because I was born during it, but I think that it does impact that. I mean, I, you know, your first memories are of this time. So uh, yeah, you were listening. You were listening to hymns of the silence in the womb. Yeah, in a sense, <laughs> uh, it could have happened. Um, but uh, yeah, this song is just uh, if, as we were talking about, like it has a kind of uh, another green world vibe. Uh, I think lyrically, especially like this ship thing and wind push the empty frame of reason out the cabin circles. Yeah. Yeah, It's a very, he's Brian is, is, has 
not developed his lyrical approach whatsoever in the 14 years in between. Which is fine. Yeah, which is great, exactly. Because uh, it's not like the guy's made a career out of putting out records that sound like this every year. Um, it's just, it's really great to hear him go back to that uh, uh, technique with the, again, cutting edge 16 bit technology of, of 1990. Uh, we're going around in circles. We have no single point of view. And like the clouds that turn to every passing wind, we turn to any signal that comes through. Who knows what that means, but it doesn't matter. It's good. It also says the title kind of, right? Yeah, this in is where song. Wrong Way Up comes comes from, I guess, right? What does he say? At the edge of the sea were the signs of the dove, but the wrong way out and the wrong way up. We push the empty frame of reason out the cabin door. No, we won't be needing reason anymore. No, we won't. I agree. I've never needed reason. Yeah. John says that like the, the lyric writing process was kind of them just shouting things at each other right. back and forth. <laughs> Again, like a podcast. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he said that like, you know, he would shout something that made sense and then the other would shout something that fucked it up and made it not make sense, and then the other one did the same. And that is that is true. That is I, that is my lived experience. Absolutely. At times. Um <laughs> At times. At times, sure. So the next song, Cordoba, this oh, is Cordoba. the one that's apparently about a terrorist. Is it about a terrorist? That's what I've heard. Okay. Why don't you, why don't you give it to us? Man was sleeping under a tree. He wrote to me from Cordoba. After the theater, we went to his house. He's a very generous Cordoban We waited at the door But he didn't come According to his father He is very ill Well, I don't really remember where I read that uh, But <laughs> okay. uh, I, I, it might have been in um, this book the other one I have in uh, the, the biography of John Cale. But um, lyrically, I think there is just something of that. It's kind of a, as like a love story between two terrorists. Like he's t- it's like giving him the directions. I walk toward the bus. You'll have to wait at the station. Leave the parcel at the top deck. It's like a plan. Um, it, maybe it's not about terrorists, but... Um, there is something about it that's kind of like a whispered instructions. It's sort of like, you're going to do this, and then you're going to do this. And um, there's a slight menace to it. But oh, yeah. Definite menace to it. Which okay. So that supports that idea, like that text, if that is indeed the concept here. Um, I'll yeah, walk toward the bus. You walk toward the station. According to uh, our friends at a certain music publication uh, who shall not be named, who wrote a actually remarkably positive uh, review of this album a couple years ago, uh, the lyrics for this came from Hugo's Latin American Spanish in Three Months, which was a book that Eno was reading at that time. Uh, It's sort of like a translation, like learning the language type of book. And so the sentences are just pulled out of that straight in many cases, and they're really short and declarative, you know, almost Hemingway-esque, because they are supposed to be building blocks for learning the language, right? Man was sleeping under a tree. 
He wrote to me from Cordoba. He's a very generous Cordoban. According to yeah, his father, very he's very generous Ill. Cordoban. I just isn't that great to hear yeah. Cordoban? I I love the song, uh, and I I don't care what it's about. Uh, yeah, man, I don't think you need to believe that it's a song about terrorists or whatever. I think you can just where like, the fuck did I read that? I don't I, know. I've not seen that anywhere, but I mean, that's not to say that it's not legit. I just I just like thinking about this song as like it's a dude hanging out in Cordoba. Yeah, and he's like waiting for a bus. It's it's. Uh, Maybe I'm thinking fondly on my own, uh, you know, Iberian journeys, waiting for trains and buses to pull into stations and leave and just being kind of like hot and dusty um, and sweaty. But it's a very pleasant uh, sense of memory for me. Cordoba, Spain. That's right. You could have gone to Spain. Uh, I almost did. You know, we did get... um, I saw. Actually approved to get press credentials for primavera but i found that out too late and um so i didn't go Not might go. try that stunt with a couple other uh local more local festivals coming up uh, now, well next time we do it. <laughs> you you can well you'll have to next time will you come to then we'll, we'll we'll it'll be worth it yeah all right we can go uh primavera 2024 let's do it yeah the final leg of uh, the rough, the rough and Bob Dylan tour. is headlining Primavera 2024. <laughs> well, he is playing in Spain, um, he, like around that time. Yeah, uh, yeah. you were going to go. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I, I have to. You got to go eat ramen. Go to Japan, in yeah, yeah. boohoo. Got to go to the Nintendo store. I'm going to be there with like four of my friends at the same time, so I mean, uh, I, that was just a little bit more appealing than going to. Uh, uh, Spain alone. Sure. You know. Sure. White boy summer in Japan. Sounds good. <laughs> um, Too good to pass up. Uh, beautiful song. I love the ending. Um, that refrain of, I'll walk towards the bus. Exactly. You walk towards, towards the station. The station. Toward- I love the way it says towards. Towards the station. Um, spinning away is probably the, oh, it's definitely the breakout uh, track here it's got 14 million plus listens on the, the old streaming service for good reason because it is one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever recorded I think it's one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever recorded with the like goofy processed drums on it for sure. Yeah. I love the way those drums sound. I mean, I I, I think that that's uh, that's not a bad thing. It's just sort of it's part of this this approach. It, it shows that that approach doesn't necessarily have to be uh, only for um, a kind of silly effect or whimsical thing. Like there's an actual emotional core to this song. And it feels a lot like 
some things on, I mean, again, like, like the big ship, it has a similar structure of that, like sort of anthemic, simple melody in the back mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that those just few notes in order. Yeah. The way, I mean, the way the song sounds, I think actually is strikingly similar to like that promo image we were just looking at a few minutes ago of the two of them sitting barefoot in this English garden with all of this kludgy technology from 1990, you know, spread out on beautiful, ornate, you know, presumably decades old pieces of, of uh, hand wrought wooden furniture. You've got this really fucking 1990s sounding percussion uh, track in the back um, that really just like, it's there from second one on this song. It's kind of one of the defining elements of it. And just gradually, you just get all of these beautiful kind of natural or more natural sounding elements stacked on top of it between that um, guitar. I guess that's a guitar, right? The the little like uh, strummy kind of thing. And, uh, and then Brian's vocals here until ultimately it's this beautiful kind of pastiche of everything that... Uh, feels like more than the sum of its parts, I think. Yeah, it feels like a very, this is like a sunset song, and the oh. others are like early morning rising songs. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I had this on the uh, one of the playlists for uh, for the wedding last month, and it uh, felt, felt well-suited for the environment, I think. Um, I think this is one also where the lyrics actually kind of come through for me. Brian's lyrics, uh, it should be noted. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about how he doesn't really give a shit about what he's saying or what the meaning is necessarily. The meaning is in the way it sounds and the way it makes you feel. And that's absolutely legit and true for this song. But I think what he's saying here actually really does it for me at the same time. On a hill under a raven sky, I have no idea exactly what I've drawn. Some kind of change, some kind of spinning away with every single line moving further out in time. idea exactly what I've drawn some kind of change some kind of spinning away that's that's beautiful like that is that's as great as anything that you know John or Lou or Bob ever wrote and they meant to write it <laughs> yeah that one you know that's not bullshit uh, that's not rather it's not like uh nonsensical you know it's it's an uh evocative description of drawing an abstract thing which is and it goes to show, you know, that um, music in general is this is this weird medium that allows you to really just fucking carve your words into granite and struggle over them as much as you possibly can, the way that, you know, Lou was doing on The Blue Mask, you could say. Um, or you can just be like Brian in this case and start shouting out nonsense vowel sounds and then figure out how to transmute those into words that form sentences as the recording goes along. 
and each one of those approaches is equally valid. You know, at the end of the at the end of the day, the the, the final result, like us nerds and, and uh, you nerds, listeners out there, are going to talk about it and think about it, what went into making these records and how they were put together. But for the average listener, for anyone, you know, you can just kind of enjoy just enjoy the way it sounds, and it doesn't really matter how it came together because uh, it's still came together the way that it did the next song sounds like peewee's big adventure <laughs> you're already done with spinning away yeah I mean, it's, we didn't talk it's the sugar spin- ray cover i no we didn't <laughs> I, I think i forgot that that existed um, it sure does it's a pretty faithful kind of cover you know <laughs> like um it's funny that it exists uh, but it it doesn't sound like wildly different than the original version. It just sounds like kind of shitty. It, it's like a you know uh, a PS2 version of uh, a beautiful uh, image. So it's like you know, there's some beautiful PS2 I- images. Sure, absolutely. Uh, but yes, okay. Next song. Footsteps. You said it sounds like Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's like okay. very. Yeah, listen to that. Do 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 It's just a lot of do do do. A lot of do do's. <laughs> yeah yeah uh john is back the weird ones on this like john is doing all the weird ones on this record you ever notice that yeah john's are kind of the the ones that don't just go for the gold and john's are like, the white onion yeah yeah it's so true brian is the, our, is the our metaphors are so fucking mixed on this <laughs> episode i i think we haven't even done one solid metaphor that isn't mixed up which is it's fine because I think that that's kind of true to the. Uh, I was just gonna say that that's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay, but yeah, it, he's uh, the condiments sort of, um, and and the uh, the the other songs are the uh, main part. The good the, the the hot dog and and this is the ketchup and mustard and relish and uh, white onion. Yes, uh, footsteps. I'm a man of many colors. Only yesterday I was blue. Ten days from now I'll be different, and so will you. Pretty good, John. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's like, I'm not going <laughs> to bend myself out of shape trying to analyze this one. Uh, but here again, we've got the cosmopolitan thing. Two weeks ago in Tokyo, a man from Islamabad selling shells back to the rebels, shells they never had, driving hard through the snow drift like a moth to a naked light to keep an appointment in Zurich with a man who hears footsteps in the night. There, He really is living in a fucking James Bond movie in this entire record. I've never really thought about that. That's wild. Yeah, except he sounds like he's walking on tiptoes wearing like a clown nose. Right, well, that's but, exactly... It's like it, 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 it's all... Like it feels like it's aware of itself, that it knows that it's all a put-on. Like it, it's sort of a spoof of this kind of thing, to me at least. Um, it's not meant to be taken seriously. Like I, I feel like sabotage, right, is like deathly serious. Um, Mm. you know, mercenaries is like, you gotta, you gotta, you believe with all your, every fiber of your being that he's invested in that and believes it right down to the core. But this is just like, you know, I just, I'm having a little fun. These little fanciful little stories I'm telling myself. Been there, done that. Been there, 
This is uh, this is this is the Sonic the Hedgehog song. I mean, I'm I'm sorry to keep uh, going back to that, but like you cannot deny at any moment that this doesn't just sound like Green Hill Zone the entire time. You're right. Uh, you're right. <laughs> when you're right, you're right. No, it sounds like uh, the yeah Sonic eating a chili dog, wagging his finger. That's right. Yeah, he's about to hit uh, one of those little like robo bees, and you know, right. all the rings are gonna crash out of him. The chaos emeralds. John Cale going. Uh, when I was working with Eno, he he told me about these chaos emeralds, <laughs> and I said, "Well, I'd never thought about. Uh, I never thought about them. I never thought much about them. I just was." Uh, as soon as uh, walk right by him, but he he seemed really in- interested in in working with him. So we he, there we were. <laughs> in the I feel Green like this. Zone. I feel like this episode is is suitably uh, uh, goofy and lighthearted. You could is say this a for Patreon the Patreon episode. No, this one is for no. everyone's getting to hear this <laughs> one. Knew, oh God. Uh oh. <laughs> We're just having a good time, folks. We're listening to good time music. We're talking to each other. Yeah, I feel like everybody's wanted to, to do this episode with us, and it's just like, I don't know. I mean, we we could have made this one like a serious one, but um, well, I mean, I but like that, I I think that it isn't music that wants to be taken seriously, you know, and especially with so much of the other shit that we have done recently that is music that desperately wants to be seriously, and we're going to have a bunch of other records that also want to be taken deeply seriously, Magic and Loss, uh, Fragments for a Rainy Season, uh, yeah. uh, Set the Twilight Reeling, Ecstasy, like, this is this is a moment, <laughs> like I was saying earlier, like, these artists are getting to just catch their breath and hang out and, like, have have a, a a fucking white claw together, uh, and so I, th- I think that we should. I don't think that's their vibe. I think the yeah, the glass of uh, I don't know some 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 li- some nice riesling or something. Nah, it's a riesling record. I, Brian, maybe I think John is is operating on a well. I guess John's not having anything. He's having a nice glass of squash. <laughs> yeah, he's he's just uh, sweating out that green <laughs> or orange sweat uh, uh, playing squash. Um, he's a lemon lime kind of guy. I don't. I don't know. I wouldn't. You don't drink Gatorade. Oh well. I mean, I just. I just don't know what what John Cale would drink. Uh, seems, Gatorade. I, he seems like lemon lime. Lime cucumber or the li- the cucumber. cucumber lime one is very good. Lemon yeah. pepino, yeah, yeah. I mean it's the it's obviously the best one. Yeah. Um, crime in the desert is next. Do 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 do. This is the first time that uh, I think there's been a song that. Kale's been involved in that sounded like this since Vintage Violence. Like had this, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that honky tonk thing. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, you know, uh, uh, maybe on every home again. Yeah. Da, 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 da. What song is uh, that again? 
Uh, you'd have to sing more of it for me to to pick up on it. I'm listening to this song, and you're doing doo doo doos into the mic, so it's really hard for me to pick it up. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's it is. It sounds like it's title. Um, Adelaide is, I guess, the oh Adelaide. Sure, yeah, yeah, I see a little Ad- Adelaide here. Yeah, Adelaide, Adelaide, I want you tonight. Crime and, um, and punishment down in Tucson. Yeah, sure. Bring it on up, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> bring it on up. Gotta bring it on up. <laughs> I've been listening to uh, that record again. It's maybe one of my favorite John records, actually. Vintage Violence? Yeah, I yeah, mean... It's, it's fantastic. So it's one of the greats. And this, this really is, um, I think, accessing some of that same feeling i mean it's 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 the type of john writing that doesn't really um it's not about being dour and serious yeah Yeah. it's about it's about articulating something that usually doesn't get to have the the stage or take the floor which is why i think this record is so great um i think that it's a exemplified the fun side is is right here on crime in the desert yeah absolutely crime and punishment down in tucson back to normal in the sun playing blackjack in the drive-in shooting snake eyes in the mud and when the moonlight came out we were gone long gone this is all this is the desert level as well this is like a is there there a mario kart desert level sure sure this is the desert track in mario kart the next one is the river that's it Last one. So deep in the water, sleep dark as the night. Somehow it seems. Here's the river, just like uh, the last card in a game of Texas Hold'em. There is uh, two bonus tracks um, that are on the bonus tracks version, Grandfather's House and Palanquin. But, um, you know, we can just talk about the river as the last one. I think it's uh, the proper ending for the record itself. Yes. And I think a song that is credited exclusively to Brian, I believe. Um, the one song on the entire record, in fact, that is credited exclusively to Brian. Uh, everything else is written and composed by John Cale and Brian Eno, but this one, Brian didn't even give him, didn't even give him any credit here. Um, it does kind of feel like his show at the end of the day. You know, this feels like more of a Brian Eno record than a John Cale record. And that's not necessarily how it should be, because it, no. it, it would have been nice to have gotten more John on it, frankly. I could yeah. use a little bit more John. A little more, my... little more John, a little more, a little more condiment, <laughs> not as much yeah. hot dog. Wrong way up, ultimately, when, it, when it's presented uh, on, on my screen here, it has Eno on top, and uh, maybe Eno is, it, it, maybe that is the wrong way up. Yeah, wow. Damn. Maybe he he's he's permanently on the on the up on the Damn. top side. Makes you, know? you think. It does. It does. Yeah. <laughs> that's but uh this song is kinda like water levels. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, it's um, it is. I mean, I it is the water a, level. <laughs> a, it's a kind of a, a simple and understated version of uh, the kind of thing that you get on spinning away or um, or any of those sort of more uh, sleepy, uh, tranquil, you know, numbers. But it's a perfectly fine ending to the record yeah it's uh it's it, you know it, it it does the job i would say slightly underwhelming but yeah. um i mean the other two bonus tracks like if you listen all the way through on the bonus tracks version it gives the record a very different feel because they're both kind of uh somber and um moody so it's like really different um and maybe that is an interest it could be a a truer ending to the record in a way, having Grandfather's House and then Palanquin. Palanquin was is a John like solo track that was tossed in as like a, a B side to a single or something. So uh, there was another one that was uh, thrown on that was more of a Brian thing that I haven't heard, but I would be fascinated to hear a cover of Ring of Fire uh, with vocals by Brian. Uh, Interesting. I got to dig up after this because Brian doing Johnny sounds pretty wild to me. I um, heard that, um, but I I didn't know it was from this moment. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, uh, the river, you know, feels like an album closer. Clearly, acts like that ser- serves that purpose. It's functional, you know, uh, and I, I think it does the most to actively sort of recall what he was doing on. Green World with, um, you know, the big ship or uh, everything merged, everything merges with the night, I should say. Like, that really feels like it's, it's antecedent to me. Um, it's pleasant. It's nice. It's a good listen. It's not, it sort of sticks out on this record, I think, because it doesn't have, it, it feels almost too serene and too sort of chill. Um, whereas most of the other songs on this album have so far been like really bubbly kind of confections or these weird you know uh espionage spy tales from john this is more just like here's a slice of brian you know uh but you know it's it's i can stick my nose up at it it reminds me what's the last song on fear Ma, uh, Mo, Mo mama scuba uh yeah, the way yeah. that that is just like it's a good song and it you know i i like to listen to it but like i don't feel like it makes sense to end that record i, no, I, have I think the same that- idea here Spinning Away could have been the closer. Oh, man, Uh, imagine that. I think that that would have been nice. I I think Spinning Away is kind of the song that sums up the record. Um, Yeah. And in that, it has this thing in it of describing the act of drawing something abstract. And in that song, in those lyrics, it acknowledges that it's some kind of something. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to mean anything, any one thing. And I think that's what this record is for and what what these kinds of exercises, um, when they're made into something more than an exercise, that's important to have sometimes. Because, you know, there's plenty of moments when that is, it's just a fun little curio to hear like, oh, so-and-so did this goofy little song. But... I think that uh, having them all here on this record as an official release um, is it's a it's a, it makes the world a better place, and I think that John was 
basically of that mindset too, he was really adamant that it be performed after it was done, that that, that was an essential part of making a record. And of course, that did not go well, because by the end of it, um, you know, who had agreed only verbally to that had uh, no interest. John didn't get it written into his contract between him and Brian. And we're going to yeah. play, we're going to play these songs, even if you're going to try to stab me with a chopstick. And that, that had happened just earlier in the year, basically with uh, Drella. Uh, and that is, uh, you know, if we, we, we've said a lot about, you know, but here, just a reminder of John Cale's uh, real get up and go, his, uh, his determined spirit, to do things that are unconventional and to do them fully. And uh, it's a shame that both of those projects were um, not taken that far, but he goes further to try to make those things happen and has actually made certain things happen that I think others would have stopped uh, before it ever actually got finished. and this record is at least something that shows for a time that two of the great artists of rock music and beyond were uh, down to do something like that together for some time yes yeah i think it's a, it's uh you know it's it's a it's a suiting ending uh, as far as i'm concerned you know it uh john talked about not wanting to make rock records anymore in the mid eighties. Um, you know, that's why he stopped doing it for so many years after artificial intelligence. And then he sort of just like accidentally fell back into it with this really productive span words to the dying Drella and wrong way up between 89 and 90 and had shit experiences with all of them. And then <laughs> stopped stopped making records again. Um, and, uh, I think, I think he just like, he, his first instinct had been right. Like this wasn't, what he needed to be doing at this moment in time. Uh, but whereas before when he walked away, it was to get clean and to become a father, he's kind of, you know, he's gotten over those humps now and, and is moving forward in a positive direction. And so it's really going to kind of set up the second stage of his his career as well. I feel like, you know, the same way that we talked about the 90s and this like, you know, a world gone wrong, good as I've been to you period being a, a recharging and, and a pivot point for Bob, John is entering that same moment uh, on on his end. And he's going to begin doing way more film scores. He's going to do fragments. He's going to do the Velvets reunion. And then finally... And he's going to do your favorite. That's right. Well, yeah, exactly. We're going to get sort of a a spiritual successor to Wrong Way Up in 1996. Yeah, I would say it is. Yeah, I cannot wait to get there. Uh, But after that point, right, because that's the next record that he puts out under his own name, at least on his own. There's um, Last Day on Earth also with Bob Newarth. Uh, from 94, but uh, but from uh, Locusts on, he is recharged again and, and uh, uh, rediscovers the ability to be a vital, you know, uh, recording artist in the pop rock format, whatever you want to call it. Um, so, you know, this is just a nice, it's a nice little unexpected treat, I think, here in the middle of the long and twisted tale that is John Cale's career. Uh, three stars for Wrong Way Up. Yeah, three stars. It's um, just nice that right. I, I love. I love that it's there. It's beautiful. Uh, well, good luck over uh, in merry old England. Thank you.
uh, hope uh, we'll be in touch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know my address. Yeah, I'll send you a postcard. That's right. From uh, yeah, well, I don't know if they mention any of the places I'm going. Cordoba uh, is not. On I the think list. he mentions Tokyo. Yeah, for oh, I'm going to Tokyo. Yeah, I, so. I know. That's what I'm saying. That's where I'm. So yeah. Okay. Jordan. Is a thing and it makes a Thank you.